Section two of A Plea for Ragged Schools by Thomas Guthrie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. Section two. Is any one so ignorant of human nature as to suppose that, offered nothing but learning, these destitute children may be brought to school by the mere power of moral suasion? I would like to know how many of the well-fed, well-clothed, well-disciplined children who crowd our schools would prefer the schoolroom to the playground, unless their parents compelled their attendance. But then, it may be answered, try the power of moral suasion on the parents. Now, we put it to any reasonable man, if it be not true, that to expect an abandoned drunken ruffian, a miserable, ignorant, poverty-stricken widow, whose powers both of body and mind, grief and want, have paralyzed, those whom themselves are strangers to the benefits of education, who are living without God and without hope in the world, who are partly dependent for their own stinted subsistence and, in too many instances, the feeding of their vices, on the fruits of their children's plunder or begging, we ask, if to expect that such will compel their hungry children to attend a school is not like seeking for grapes on thorns or figs on thistles. We have already indicated how we propose to meet these difficulties. Let us be a little more explicit. What we then propose to do, with the intent of meeting, and the confidence of overcoming, difficulties never yet fairly grappled with, and, with God's blessing, of engrafting on the fair stock of civilization and Christianity these wild vines, so that they shall yield the wine which is pleasant both to God and man, is this. In place of one great school, which would manifestly be attended by many disadvantages, let there be an adequate number of schools set down in the different districts of the city, so that each school shall contain no more than a manageable number of children, not more than a teacher can thoroughly control and break in. These Arabs of the city are wild as those of the desert, and must be broken into three habits, those of discipline, learning, and industry, not to speak of cleanliness. To accomplish this, our trust is in the almost omnipotent power of Christian kindness. Hard words and harder blows are thrown away here, with these, alas, they are too familiar at home, and have learned to be as indifferent to them as the smith's dog to the shower of sparks. And without entering into many details, it may be enough to say that in the morning they are to break their fast on a diet of the plainest fare, then march from their meal to their books. In the afternoon they are again to be provided with a dinner of the cheapest kind, then back again to school, from which, after supper, they return not to the walls of a hospital, but to their own homes." there carrying with them many a holy lesson they may prove themselves christian missionaries to those dwellings of darkness and sin this is no vain expectation our confidence is in him who has said that out of the mouths of babes and sucklings he ordaineth strength and we are all the more confident of his blessing because we are in this the best way fulfilling the duty laid on us in his promise to the forlorn when thy father and thy mother forsake thee then the lord will take thee up a faithful God, he does not this by way of miracle, but by way of means, putting it into the hearts of kind and Christian people to do a father and a mother's part to those who are fatherless and motherless, or to the still more unhappy children who have their parents, but would be better without them. To work up this scheme to its greatest advantage and capability of good, we would strongly recommend the adoption of some plan as this in place of benevolent individuals contenting themselves with subscribing to its funds and taking no further interest in the welfare of its objects let each individual select one child or more 
as his means may warrant, say, one child. The expenses of its education and maintenance at school are met by him. This is known to the child, and thus, taught to regard him as its benefactor, the better and kindlier feelings of its nature are brought into activity and nurtured into strength. Within the arms of his gratitude man can embrace a benevolent individual, but not a benevolent community. What pauper ever left a charity workhouse with a blessing on its directors? But individual charity has been remembered in the widow's prayer, and some have walked our streets who could say with the patriarch, When the eye saw me, then it blessed me. We attach the utmost importance to the plan we propose. By means of it, the person through whose kindness the child is placed and paid for at school, who comes there occasionally to watch the progress of a plant which he has found flung out on the highway, to be trodden underfoot, but which he has transplanted into this nursery of good, becomes an object of kindly regard to the child. The boy fears his displeasure and aims at his approbation. Kindness softens his heart. His love and gratitude are kindled, and so we call in the most effectual allies in our effort to save him from ruin. In this way, moreover, the child has secured a patron and a protector, one to take him by the hand when the term of school is closed, and to stand by him in the battle of life. Selecting a boy in whom we have learned to take a kindly interest, we will feel it to be our business to guide him, through our counsel and influence, into some way of well-doing. We will be led to charge ourselves with his welfare. He will not have to complain, no man careth for my soul. And so, through the influence of kindly feeling on his part, and Christian care on ours, in many a now unhappy child society might gain a useful member, instead of receiving an Ishmaelite, whose hand is against every man, and every man's hand against him. On the management of these schools, we have only to add that, alongside a common and Christian education, we will introduce such work as may suit the age of the children and their condition in life, with the double advantage of lessening, by its profits, the expense of maintenance, and forming in the children habits of industry, which will fit them for an honest and useful life. And thus, through these schools, heaven smiling upon them, we will be able to address these children in the language of God to the patriarch, I will bless thee, and make thee a blessing. We know no solid objection to which our scheme is open, not that we mean to say it will prove a good without any mixture of evil, or that it cannot by any possibility be abused, but only that, if these are objections, they are objections to which the best and noblest schemes of Christian benevolence are exposed. However, our extreme anxiety for the success of this scheme leads us to address ourselves to some objections that may be conjured up against it. Now, we beg, in the first place, to observe that this is no scheme to relieve those whose vices have brought them to ruin, or whose indolence keeps them in poverty. We fully accord with the sentiment of the Apostle, He that will not work should not eat. This is both the judgment of Scripture and of reason. In very mercy to this world, God has linked crime and suffering together, and it were a short-sighted benevolence which, interfering with the law of providence, would dissolve the connection. Let guilty parents suffer. They have eaten sour grapes. Let their teeth be set on edge. But has not God said, what means ye that ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge? As I live, says the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion any more to use this proverb in Israel. And the question which we put to a humane and Christian public is this. Are we, without any efficient effort to save them, to allow these guilty parents to draw down into the same gulf with themselves 
their innocent and helpless offspring. We do not propose to contaminate our hospitals with such children. Surely it would be one thing to rear the children of the wicked in affluence, to provide them with a finished education, to house them in splendid palaces, and another thing to save them from the pangs of hunger and from the crimes to which hunger tempts and drives them, to bless them with a simple education by which they may live decently in this world and be taught the way to a better. Let me put a case and get an answer. In the college wind of the old Greyfriars parish, I found a mother, with some three young children by her side, and a pale sickly infant in her arms. She was a drunkard. But there was no bed save some straw there. There was no fire save some slumbering cinders. There was no bread in her house. I learnt this from being constantly interrupted while speaking to her by the miserable object in her arms incessantly saying something to its mother. On asking what it said she burst into tears, and told me it was asking for bread, and she had none to give it. They had not broken their fast that day, and it was now past noon. Fresh from a happy country parish, I was horrified at such a scene, and sent out for a loaf of bread. They fell on it like ravenous beasts. Now the question I ask, and to which I crave an answer, is this. Should I have left these children to die of hunger, because their mother was a drunkard? And if not, if what I did was not to be condemned, but rather commended, how ought this scheme to commend itself to the zealous support of Christian men? That food, perhaps, served to spin out but for a little their feeble thread of life. It secured them no permanent benefit. But we beseech the public to observe that the charity given in the way we plead for does what common charity does not. It secures for every child whose hunger it allays, and whose life it saves, the blessings of a common and a Christian education." We can fancy some people at first sight alarmed at our scheme, as one which would entail additional burdens on the public. Grant it that it did. The benefit would more than compensate for the burden. There is he that scattereth and yet increaseth, and, never were the words more applicable, there is he that withholdeth the hand, and it tendeth to poverty. But it is not thus that we meet the objection. We meet it fairly in the face. We deny that any additional burden worth mentioning will press on the public. Do you fancy that, by refusing this appeal, and refusing to establish these schools, you, the public, will be saved the expense of maintaining these outcasts? A great and demonstrable mistake. They live just now, and how do they live? Not by their own honest industry, but at your expense. They beg and steal for themselves, or their parents beg and steal for them. You are not relieved of the expense of their sustenance by refusing this appeal. The old man of the sea sticks to the back of Sinbad and surely it were better for Sinbad to teach the old man to walk on his own feet. I pray the public to remember that begging and stealing, while in most cases poor trades to those who pursue them, are dear ones to the public. A friend just now tells us of an old beggar, accomplished in his vocation, who used to lament over the degeneracy of the age, saying that men nowadays didn't ken how to beg, that Kiso wheel begget, was worth fifteen shillings a day. These beggars that you are breeding on the body politic are costly as well as troublesome members of society. Catch you, little fellow, with his pale face and piteous whine, and search, as some of us have done, his wallets, and you will be astonished at the stores of beef and bread concealed beneath his rags. Don't blame him, however, because he whines on. He must reach his den at night laden with plunder. You forget that a sound beating may await him if he returns empty-handed and you also forget that at some expense he has to keep his mother in whiskey, as well as his brothers and sisters in food. 
you have often tried to put down public begging the dearest and most vicious way of maintaining the poor till some such plan as ours is adopted you never can not to speak of the beggars that prowl about our public streets hundreds of children set out every morning to levy their subsistence for the day by calls at private houses they beg when they may they steal when they can such a system is a disgrace to society its evils are legion and we can fancy no plan that goes so directly and with such sure promise of success to the root of these evils as that we now advocate we say with daniel defoe that begging is a shame to any country if the beggar is an unworthy object of charity it is a shame that he should be allowed to beg if a worthy object of charity it is a shame that he should be compelled to beg we can again fancy some apprehensive lest such institutions should prove a bounty on indolence improvidence anticipation we might again answer that the same objection may be urged against all charity and that unless we are prepared to run some risk we shall never either obey the command of god to feed the hungry and clothe the naked or yield to the better feelings of our nature but let us look more directly at this objection we are quite ready to meet it grant that the scheme were to act so in some cases on the parents still the good more than contrabalances the evil you are using the only means whereby the children can be saved from habits of indolence improvidence and dissipation suppose a man already indolent improvident and dissipated to have four children without this institution these grow up in their father's image and what happens we pray the public to observe what happens the evil is multiplied fourfold these four again become in course of time heads of families say each the parent of four children and what happens now the evil by this time is multiplied sixteenfold and so it rolls on and deepens like the waters of the prophet's vision first reaching the ankle then rising to the knee then to the loins and by and by it is a river that cannot be passed over waters to swim in how easily and successfully the child is trained to the vices of the man we have had abundant evidence it was only the other day that we heard a little child of some eight years of age confess that he had been lately carried home intoxicated and when he gaily and glibly told this story of early dissipation it only called forth the merriment of the ragged urchins around the suckling babe is drugged with opium the spirits are administered to allay the cravings of hunger when examined on the state of her school a very excellent female teacher in this town acknowledged to us that she had often been obliged from her own small salary to supply the wants of her hungry scholars she had not the heart to offer the letters to a poor child who had not got breakfast and some days ago smelling spirits from a fine little child she drew from this her miserable confession that her only dinner had then been half of a biscuit and a little whiskey how early this hapless class are initiated into the use of spirits came out the other day to the astonishment of a friend of ours who on walking along the streets observed some boys and girls clustered like bees around a barrel she asked them if it was a sugar barrel and on learning that it was a spirit one she said you surely don't like whiskey for my part mem says one little girl thinking perhaps thereby to recommend herself deed mem for my part i prefer the strong ale in sober sadness we ask is it not worth running some risk to cure such evils such a moral gangrene as facts like these disclose but grant again that the dissipated father because he sees his poor children fed educated and disciplined at your expense and not at his own is thereby encouraged in habits of vice what happens if his children are saved by this institution and remember they cannot be saved without it at his death society suffers no longer 
the evil ceases with himself and instead of extending along the line of his posterity and multiplying with their multiplication is buried in the grave of the drunkard as to the idea of any decent sober church-going affectionate father who at present honestly educates and maintains his family ceasing to work and taking to drink because he might get the children whom he loves and for whom he loves to labor educated and fed in such a school as we suggest along with the sweepings of the neighborhood such an idea is surely too absurd to be entertained by any reasonable man it were waste of time paper and public patience to answer an objection so utterly contrary to human nature and all experience but i am not content to simply repel the objection and show that such an institution will prove no bounty on indolence improvidence and dissipation i believe the truth lies altogether the other way and having had more to do than many with the victims of these vices i may be permitted to express my thorough conviction that the uncared for and desperate circumstances of the poor often prove strong temptations to the waste that leads to want they are helpless because they are hopeless it is often after they get desperate that they get dissipated man thirsts for happiness and when there is everything in his neglected and unpitied and unhelped sorrows to make him miserable he seeks visions of bliss in the daydreams of intoxication and from the horrors that follow his excess he flies again to the arms of the same enchanter the intoxicating cup brings what he never has without it though a passing still a present feeling of joy and comfort of course i here speak of one who is a stranger to the consolations of religion and the faith of him who said though the fig tree should not blossom allow me to say that it is very easy for those who walk through the world rolled in flannels and cased in good broadcloth who sit down every day to a sumptuous at least a comfortable dinner who have never had to sing a hungry child to sleep nor to pawn their bible to buy them bread it is very easy for such to wonder why the poor who should be so careful are often so wasteful what have they to do with drink it is said what temptation have they to drink i pray them not that i defend the thing but to test it but i pray them in answer to their question to hear the testimony of one who knew human nature well the laird and maggie are haggling about a fish bargain i'll gie them says maggie and 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 half a dozen of partons to make the sauce for three shillings and a dram half a crown and a dram maggie replies the laird aweel your honour mon hate your ain gain nae doubt but a dram's were siller now the distilleries is no workin and i hope they'll never work again in my time said old buck ay ay it's easy for your honour and the like o you gentlefolks to say say and hae stoth and ruth and fire and fendin and meat and claith and sit dry and canny by the fireside but an ye wanted fire and meat and dry kays and were dee in a culled and had sair heart whisk is washed ava we just tuppence in your pouch wouldn't ye be glad to buy a dram with it and to be eelding and clays and to supper and heart's ease into the bargain till the morn's mornin there is a word of melancholy truth in this description i quote the above as the testimony of a man who had studied human nature and i now quote what follows as the inspired words of one whose proverbs contain the most remarkable record of practical observation and everyday wisdom that the world contains what says solomon the destruction of the poor is their poverty he saw the connection between desperate circumstances and dissipated habits elsewhere he says let him drink to forget his poverty and remember his misery no more the truth is that a poor widow with a babe at her breast and three children at her side 
who is mocked with a sixpence a week for each, to meet therewith the expenses of food, fuel, house-rent, raiment, and education, is often driven to desperation. She struggles on for a while, and, turning into temporary floats, by the help of the pawnbroker, this article and that, with her children hanging on her, she keeps her head a while to the stream. At length, having taken her last decent bit of furniture or dress to the pawn, she can contest it no longer. She loses heart. She sees no hope of bettering herself, and, seeking to drown in drink the consciousness of her misery, she is borne down the flood of ruin. If you cannot understand this temptation, I will help you to do so. On what does that door open, where an officer stands with a sword in one hand and a finger of the other on the trigger of a pistol? Who and what are those desperate and haggard men that press in upon him? A band of pirates who have boarded his ship? And does he stand there to guard its freight or gold? No, he guards its spirit room. Six days ago the sea was calm, hope was bright as heaven, the good ship bounded over the billows, and not a man of that band, but he had only to say to him, go, and he goeth. But the storm came, and the sails flew into ribbons, and the masts went by the board, and the seams gaped to the sea, and the pumps were choked, and the vessel lies waterlogged now, and the men have strained their eyes for a sail on the wide round of waters, and they have ceased to hope, and the cry has been raised, to the spirit-room. And by this time they had drowned their sorrows in intoxication, but that that calm, determined man stands there, and, having drawn a chalk-line across a passage, assures them he will cut down the first that crosses. Far be it from me to say a word in defense of a crime which is the curse of our people, the shame of our country, and the blot of our churches. But don't deceive yourselves. You will never starve men into sobriety. No, but you can starve many into drunkenness. One demon never cast out another, and some seem to know as little of human nature as did the Jews of old, when they blasphemously said of our divine Redeemer, He casteth out devils by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. I have seen and admired the efforts which a poor man has put forth when a ray of hope broke through the gloom, and instead of aggravating the dissipation of the poor, I am confident that the hope which such an institution would shed on the dark prospect of many a forlorn family would help to charm and chase the demon away. It would make the widow's heart sing for joy, it would keep up her sinking head, to see that now her poor dear children had the prospect of being saved. It would have the effect on her that the cry of a sail has had on the mutinous crew, when, in that blessed sight and blessed sound, hope has boarded their sinking ship, they have returned once more to their right mind, and strained every nerve to keep themselves afloat. It cannot be denied that at this moment many of our poor are miserably provided for, and let me ask how could an addition be so well or wisely made to their wretched pittance as by securing through it an education that, with the blessing of God, would train up the rising generation into honest and useful members of society. The present system is vicious and defective, manifestly defective in this, that if the state or society is bound to maintain the children of the destitute, it is bound to do, what it does not, educate them also. It pretends to do the first, to a large extent it does not even pretend to do the second. By this scheme both would be done. If parents and others are inclined to abuse our charity and make it minister to their own vices instead of their children's maintenance, this scheme goes like a knife to the root of that evil. The children, the innocent sufferers, those who, in the case of dissipated parents, are all the more objects of Christian pity, 
are in the institutions we plead for made sure of food knowledge habits of discipline and industry in short they are placed beyond the reach of their parents rapacity the principle of our scheme lies here we feed in order to educate just because we believe that for the good of the child for the benefit of society and for the glory of god it is better to pay for the education of the boy than to pay for the punishment of a man we never could clearly see our way to the justice which punishes the child in cases when it may be truly said he has less sinned than been sinned against and we are confident that the sentence which condemns him must be often wrung from reluctant judges i cannot transfer to paper the touching description of a trial i heard from the gentleman who is now prosecutor fiscal for the county of edinburgh by his office he is now prosecutor for the crown then he was often counsel for the prisoner on the occasion alluded to he was the advocate of a boy who was charged with theft the prisoner was a mere child when he stood up the crown of his head just reached the top of the bar the crime was clearly proved and now came my friend's time to shield him from the arm of the law by the evidence of two or three policemen he proved that the untaught unschooled untrained uncared for infant had a brutal parent by whose cruel usage he was compelled to steal and then causing the poor child to be lifted up that he might be seen and placed upon the bar in the sight of the wondering pitying court he turned round to the jury-box with this simple but telling appeal gentlemen he said remember what i have proved look on that infant and declare him guilty if you can and i may add it was but the other day that he told me of a similar case that had come before him when he was called to prosecute a mere child whose father had forced him to steal the reader will find in the appendix a painful specimen of such cases which i have extracted from the report of mr smith governor of the prison in such cases justice is perplexed what to do it is not the heart but the head also which is dissatisfied with the punishment it is not on mercy but on justice that we call to interpose her shield and protect the victim from the arm of the law the guilty party is not at the bar and when the arm of justice descends on a child whom its country has neglected abandoned to temptation and left without protection from a parent's cruelty in truth she reminds us of the figure that stood some years ago over the courts of law in londonderry a heavy storm had swept across the country and tearing away the scales had left poor justice nothing but her sword the law in such cases may pronounce its sentence but humanity reason and religion revolt against it in scotland if a man is charged with crime the jury in the case of his acquittal may return either a verdict of not guilty or not proven where there is strong grounds to suspect the party guilty a moral conviction of his guilt yet some slight flaw in the legal proof of it the prisoner is acquitted under a verdict of not proven and if there are cases where in truth the verdict is guilty but not proven in the case of these unhappy children who are suffering from the crimes of their parents and neglect of society with what truth might this verdict be returned proven but not guilty no offence can be committed but there is guilt somewhere in such cases however the guilty party is not the child at the bar between the parents who have trained the child to crime and society that has made no effective effort to save him it may not be easy for us to decide where the guilt lies or in what proportion it is shared between them but we are thoroughly persuaded that in the day of final judgment there will be found many an unhappy child who has stood at the bar of man for whose crimes other parties shall have to answer at the bar of god we don't say that society can remedy every wrong nor do we entertain the utopian expectation that 
by these schools or any other means crime can be banished from this guilty world but certainly institutions which will secure to these children a common and christian education and habits of discipline and industry are rich in promise we know that the returns of autumn fall always short of the promise of summer that the fruit is never so abundant as the flower still however though we are not so utopian as to expect that these schools will save all we have ground both in reason and scripture to expect that they will save many who seem otherwise doomed to ruin to take the lowest of all ground to descend from the high considerations of humanity and the holy interests of morality and religion to look only at the pecuniary savings to come down from the profit and the loss of souls to the profit and loss of money we claim for this scheme the public support it may be laid down as an axiom that the prevention of crime is cheaper than its punishment our schools will more than repay the outlay put out of view the return which their work brings in and which in aberdeen amounts to a considerable item of the expense and enter on the side of the expense of these schools and on the other side the saving to the country through the diminution of crime when the account is closed we shall have a large balance in our favor we pray those who look pale at the probable expense to look at the actual expense of our criminal prosecutions to confine ourselves to the case of convicts does the reader know that there are about three hundred convicts annually transported from scotland do the inhabitants of edinburgh know that their city furnishes about one hundred of these after that overlooking the expense of previous convictions and the money which subjects of them cost when living by theft and beggary the expense of their conviction for the offence for which they are transported and of the transportation itself is not less than one hundred pounds a head for convicts belonging to this city we pay ten thousand pounds a year and for the single item of the trial and transport of the convicts who are after all but a handful of the other criminals scotland pays annually about thirty thousand pounds i have reserved for the appendix some important matter which bears on this subject which i have received from others and to which i would call the candid and careful attention of my readers but the following table which mr smith governor of the prison has kindly furnished i think it best to insert here believing that if sensible men only knew what enormous sums are paid for the punishment of crimes they would as a matter of mere economy hail with pleasure a scheme so likely to prevent it and that this table will convince many that in doing so little towards the education and salvation of the unhappy outcasts at our doors we have been for a long time to use the vulgar but expressive saying penny wise and pound foolish statement of the expenditure for criminal prosecutions maintenance of criminals etc for scotland for the year eighteen forty six expense of prosecutions carried on in the name and by the authority of the lord advocate thirteen thousand seven hundred and seventy five pounds sums required by the sheriffs in scotland to settle accounts for prosecutions forty nine thousand pounds expenditure under the prison boards of the several counties of scotland for maintenance etc of prisoners forty three thousand three hundred and sixty six pounds proportion in firing to scotland for convicts sent to millbank three thousand nine hundred and thirty two pounds proportion in firing to scotland for convicts sent abroad twenty eight thousand eight hundred and thirty pounds proportion of firing to scotland for convicts at home bermuda gibraltar etc seven thousand one hundred and ninety three pounds expense of prison board in scotland one thousand seven hundred and forty pounds prison inspectors allowances including travelling charges twelve hundred pounds 
justiciary court and crown agent for stationery printing etc one thousand nine pounds total one hundred and fifty thousand forty five pounds in addition to the above expenses are incurred in the punishment of crime the amount of which we cannot specify but which must necessarily be very great such as expense of court of justiciary including judges salaries travelling expenses on courts macers etc salaries of the lord advocate solicitor general and deputy advocates crown agent salary including assistance etc the following should also be included in the charges for the punishment of crime in scotland expenditure by the several counties cities and burghs in scotland in supporting their respective police establishments expenditure by ditto in precognitions and summary prosecutions in criminal cases not reported by the sheriff to the lord advocate one year's interest on capital expended in building prisons lock-up houses etc someone has said how cheap is charity a beautiful saying which might form the motto of our industrial schools no man we would think can read this table of expense without the conviction being borne in on his mind that it is high time to be doing more in the way of preventing that we may have to do less in the way of punishing crime nothing more strongly recommends the scheme to me than the fact that it reconciles two great and good philanthropists who seem to be opposed to each other both lovers of the poor both earnest for their good both proposing for the same end what appear different plans and yet both right with dr chalmers we have always thought that it was through moral and christian machinery that our degraded and deep-sunk population were to be raised for their permanent good we had no faith in any other scheme with dr allison again we always thought that the maintenance of the poor was miserably inadequate to their wants and that this stood as a barrier between them and the moral influences by which dr chalmers would ameliorate and permanently improve their character we agree with both and confess that we could never very well see how they seemed to disagree with each other in as it were the presence of such men i speak on this subject with unfeigned humility the two schemes may go hand in hand nay more like the twins of siam the presence of the one should ensure the company of the other and what perhaps more than anything else recommends this scheme both to our head and heart is this it furnishes a common walk for both these distinguished philanthropists under the self-same roof the temporal and the moral wants of our forlorn poor are provided for both these doctors meet most harmoniously in our schoolroom dr allison comes in with his bread dr chalmers with his bible here is food for the body there for the soul dr allison's bread cannot be abused dr chalmers bible is heard by willing ears and so this scheme meeting the views of both lays its hand upon them both we have been dealing with objectors and objections if any such there be we can hardly suppose that any man into whose hands this appeal may fall will toss it aside as an effort made on behalf of those who are not worth saving either for this world or the next read we pray you the following passage from that excellent work the christian treasury push it aside and let it float downstream said the captain of a steamboat on a small western river as we came upon a huge log lying crosswise in the channel near to a large town at which we were about to stop the headway of the boat had already been checked and with a trifling effort the position of the log was changed and it moved onward towards the mississippi on it went perhaps to annoy others as it had annoyed us to lodge here and there until it becomes so water-soaken that the heavier end will sink into a sandbar and the lighter project upward thus forming a sawyer or a snag 
it would have taken a little more effort to cast it high upon the land but no one on board appeared to think of doing that or anything else save getting rid of it as easily as possible for it had not yet become a formidable evil by and by if a steamboat should be going down river and strike against it causing a loss of thousands of dollars if not life hundreds will ask the old question if something cannot be done to remedy such evils without stopping to inquire whether they can be prevented now this is the way in which some of us work who profess to have a better knowledge than that which belongs to the world we forget that old proverb that an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure that that is the truest wisdom which advises the overcoming of the beginning of evil it may cost us less seeming labor to push aside the boy who stands at the corner of the street on the sabbath with an oath on his lips than to put forth a little extra effort to get him into a sabbath school but he is not yet a formidable evil to society and so is left to float down with the current of vice to continue his growth in sin and to reach his manhood steeped in habits of evil and fixed in a position that may work the ruin of more than one soul yes it is very easy to push aside the poor boy in the street with a harsh and unfeeling refusal saying to your neighbor these are the pests of the city call them if you choose the rubbish of society only let us say that there are jewels among the rubbish which would richly repay the expense of searching and that bedded in their dark and dismal abodes precious stones lie there which only wait to be dug out and polished to shine first on earth and hereafter and forever in our redeemer's crown dr chalmers has eloquently expounded and often practically exemplified the principle that when convinced ourselves we ought to begin at once nor delay action till all are ready to move and in drawing these remarks to a close we have to mention that acting on this principle an interim committee of gentlemen have secured premises and taken steps for the speedy opening of a ragged school in this city we cast ourselves with perfect faith on god and the support of a humane and christian public we hope to see the matter taken up on a large and general plan worthy of its merits and worthy of the metropolis of scotland in the meantime we are content to be mere pioneers in this movement and for such a noble experiment we trust to be provided with funds amply sufficient for the expenses we incur the names of the committee will be found in the appendix and we would fain hope that the perusal of this plea may lead to immediate aid which may be sent to any of these gentlemen for such assistance we can promise a richer return than our thanks even the blessing of those that are ready to perish in closing this appeal we have only further to add that we are all but confident of public support we have brought forth revelations of the state of the poor which we believe will be new to many if any of these read this appeal their ignorance cannot henceforth excuse their apathy such schools in smaller or greater numbers are needed in many towns we hope to see christians of all denominations and politicians of all parties throughout the country as well as in edinburgh putting forth cordial and combined efforts to establish and extend these destitute schools a name we would recommend for them in the place of ragged schools though for the sake of the perishing we may regret the defects and inadequacy of this appeal we will never regret that it has been made it were better far in such a cause to fail than to stand idly by and see the castaway perish if the drowning man sinks before we reach him it is at least some consolation to reflect that we did our best to save him though we bore home but the dead body of her boy we should earn a mother's gratitude we should have a mother's blessing we had tried to save him and from that blessed one who made himself poor that he might make us rich 
who was full of compassion, kind, and patient to the bad, and who has set us an example that we should follow in his steps, we shall earn at least this approving sentence. They have done what they could. End of section 2